1: Welcome everybody to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and very excited to have with me Becky Haas, who is here to talk about, oh my gosh, we were just talking before I hit record, and I wish I had recorded all of that because it was amazing. So we'll, we'll dive back into it again. But she's a trainer on trauma-informed care and ACEs, and for those who are unfamiliar with the acronym of ACEs, it's Adverse Childhood Experiences. So welcome, Becky. Oh, thank you, Terry. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh, yes. And and again, we were just, we're talking about, um, well, faith and spirituality, but also a a book that you wrote and um, just, yeah, the impact of of trauma and ACEs on lives and uh, resilience, which is such a big, important factor. Yes,
2: yes. Well, that, uh, I never expected my journey to be where it's at today. Um, And faith is a a central part of my life. And, um, and that's really what, made this message about trauma and ACEs and resiliency, um, something I realized that I needed to be involved in because it was a healing message, much like um, faith should be. Um, you know, I've been surprised though to see sometimes people's trauma has been experienced in a faith um, in a church or something like that. That's been eye-opening to me, and and so um, among the training that I do for every kind of imaginable sector, I do training also for the faith community um, around that point. But um, yes, uh, I'm excited and um, and 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 love doing this work. I feel it's such a rewarding opportunity to help people realize that some of what happened wasn't their fault.
1: Right. Yeah. And some of my and some of my abuse occurred. Within, I was abused by my uh, choir director repeatedly at 10 years old, and then also a religious education director. I worked for priests in the evenings answering phones, and uh, he, he cornered me in a basement and sexually accosted me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is, it is it's coming oh, to it the is surface, true. and people need to understand that... Um, You know, my faith is still a very big part of my life, even though with that history and people sometimes say, Oh my gosh, Terry, how can you still be involved? You know, even though that happened to you? Well, that was an individual Mm -hmm. who chose to do that to me. So,
2: yeah. Right. I'm so sorry. Well, in every field, um, you know, um, there's abuse and there's hurt and there's harm. And um, I've been working with some people around the world just this morning on the phone with a young man in Lithuania. Um, I've been working with a clinical psychologist in the UK. And much like we're seeing with COVID, where it's a global pandemic, and one of the things that I'm pointing out in training is that there are two kinds of trauma. There's natural trauma and created trauma. And with the global pandemic of COVID-19, that's something where we see a lot of empathy rising up and our healthcare heroes being saluted and our first responders and even our teachers now, which have had to, goodness knows, you know, pull out all the stops to keep oh, people yeah. But. What about all the created trauma with the domestic violence and the child abuse or living in the home with an addicted caregiver? And that's what I, I really love this work about is we're raising awareness to that created trauma and how healing needs to come for individuals whose trauma maybe has never been you know, addressed. And, and we don't have to know the stories, but how can we help people heal from the effects of those stories?
1: Yeah, which leads me to, I really wanted you to talk a little bit about what it is you've done and some of your accomplishments and you talked about the work in Tennessee. So if you could talk on that a little bit.
2: Sure. Thank you. Well, um, I learned about ACEs working at a police department. I live in a town of about 65,000 people, Northeast Tennessee. Um, It takes me eight hours just to get to Memphis. So I'm at Tennessee's long state, California turned sideways. Uh, (laughs) And um, I was reducing drug related and violent crime was what my program was about. I managed an $800,000 federal grant or, federal and state grant. And um, I was One of the roles I was tasked to do was reduce recidivism, which uh, every state has a recidivism rate. Um, Tennessee's rate is 48 to 50%. And for those that might be listening that didn't know what it means, which I didn't at first, um, it's the rate at which someone comes out of prison and goes back within one to three years. Um, Last I knew, California's rate was 77%. So in Tennessee, 48 to 50%. And um, lo and behold, working with amazing communities community partners, judges, mental health. We created a program that ended up that program at the time that the state acquired it from me at the police department. It reduced it down to 16 to 22 percent for felony Mm -hmm. offenders with addictions. But in that journey at the police department, Mm -hmm. I was at a conference and heard Dr. Folletti. Um, My chief asked me to write a grant for a domestic violence program. Tennessee also is very high in numbers around domestic and um, and I could see how much our officers uh, how many calls I would see every day a shift report and count up nine ten eleven in two thousand and fifteen, our little town we'd have an average of eleven calls a day coded domestic violence and living in this community for so many years i I felt I was so surprised to see how many children this was their ongoing story in their home. So I heard Dr. Folletti at a at an international domestic violence conference. And then 30 days later, I was with the probation program manager in Florida, and we were at a probation conference and heard Dr. Joan Galice, who uh, at the time was uh, director of the National Center for Trauma-Informed Care, which was funded by SAMHSA. And I thought, I felt like I'd heard the cure for cancer. Honestly, between those two, two meetings within 30 days, I I felt the wind knocked out of me in my aha moment, like people say. And I felt like I had to come back and tell my town. So I gave my business card, introduced myself to Joan Galise and gave her my card and said, I work for police. I've got to tell my town about this. And I'm sure everybody gets those kind of things at speakers and I know I do now. And she said, OK, well, email me. So I did. And she came uh, about six months later and introduced these concepts to our town. In 2015, I partnered with a psychology professor um, who also her faith is very important to her. And and um, based on the introduction of trauma concepts to our town that Dr. Gleese gave Um, we set out to train uh, cross-sector professionals. Um, In 2014, SAMHSA had a concept paper that you need to address trauma in your town by all the professionals understanding it. And so honestly, Terry, I felt like if I'm not a mental health expert, I'm a mom, now a grandma, And I thought if I heard about ACEs, I'm surely the last person catching the train. (laughs) I mean, I thought, you know, the door is shut and I barely made it. And So we, Dr. Clements and I, my friend at ETSU, we trained over 4,000 people in less than three years. And then we reached back out to SAMHSA, to Dr. Gilles, and we said, could we host a webinar in 2018 of all the people that have done this, that trained their town? We'd like to hear her and meet them and see what were their barriers and all. And she wrote us back and said, you know, I don't know of another town that has police, has health care, has libraries. And so in 2018, we hosted a forum. People came from SAMHSA. Two governor's wives came, Miss Carney from Delaware, First Lady of Delaware, Miss Haslam, who was the First Lady of Tennessee. And we had a forum and people from 20 states, and we told our story And 30 days after that, I was invited to join the largest regional health system um, to help them to be trauma informed with 21 hospitals in two states. And I was there for 18 months. And just in the spring, because of the overwhelming amount of requests to come and speak and and help people become trauma informed in a town or organization, Um, I I launched out as an independent um, consultant, and I think what makes me unique to this, Terry, is I just so cherish the work of Dr. Bruce Perry and Brene Brown and the names in this, uh, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, and I can repeat a lot of their stuff very well, but I feel I'm more of a practitioner. Um, If people listening to this are old enough to remember Irma Bombeck um, yeah. <laughs> who would get in the kitchen and with her silliness and, and, and I'm a little like that. And I feel at the time there were not police trainings. There were not trainings for how to train healthcare. Uh, I didn't know that patients talk more to housekeeping than they do to their doctor. So we need to train our housekeeping. Those things, I couldn't find those things. And so I started creating all these trainings and so that's kind of what's made me unique in this field is where I've trained judges, I've trained custodians in education, healthcare, police um and just see the need of every every type of service functioning with a trauma informed lens.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. And I love that idea of Making the world, I've talked about that, making it a trauma informed world. Yes, and yes. that's not just with therapists being trauma informed and those no. who, you know, supposedly are doing the hands on work, right? Um, which is critical and very important, but every single person being trauma informed yes, yes. and understanding and seeing it through that lens yeah um that i saw a quote i think on facebook yesterday or a meme that said something along the lines of and my mind just went completely blank <laughs> but it was along the lines of um you know looking through a trauma-informed lens and yeah um, yeah and just being aware that when someone oh that's what it was it came back to me so it was had a line that said um you know people are so rude and it like had a line drawn through it and it down below it said, you know, I don't understand or something along the lines of, I don't know. I understand that maybe this person has had a traumatic experience and therefore is guarded. And, uh, you know, so again, if we just kind of shift our, our focus a bit. Absolutely.
2: And I really feel that, um, people around, um, I hate to call it a movement, it's kind of like saying that how tobacco went over 40 years, you know, with education to now no tobacco on a college campus, or so I really, I refrained from trying to use the word movement. But one of the things that I feel that ACEs and trauma even though the ACEs study was is 20 some years old, I think what we're seeing now, Terry, is the value of empathy in our community. And just exactly to your point, and I feel like what I've been doing a lot is raising awareness. I kinda, in my trainings, I've got this funnel, and uh, maybe I should patent it one day, but, but it talks about when you understand ACEs, And people that have had trauma and complex trauma, by and large, we've only usually identified the need for clinical and behavioral, which is important, you know, EMDR, some of the different types of training, and those are very important, but high up in the funnel could be our community, where the secretary booking the important, you know, to come in to see a behavioral therapist is not rude or not, you know, like to your point. And, and then um, the bus driver, you know, uh, maybe one day I may do a TED Talk on the little things. And I collect stories of empathy. And I heard on the CBS News earlier this year before COVID um, that a bus driver in Utah, she loved her kids getting on the bus every day. And she had a little girl that always had her hair braided and into the school year in the fall. One day she noticed a little girl, not on the bus the next day, not on the bus. The next day, not on the bus. And after a whole week, the little girl had been missing a week. So finally, the next week, the little girl jumped on the bus. And she said, oh, I'm so glad you're back. I missed you. But one thing she noticed, this little girl's hair was always meticulously braided. And she noticed the little girl didn't have the braids. So she said, "Um, let it go a few days. She thought maybe they overslept. So about three or four days in, one day, she said, I sure miss those braids. And the little girl said to her, Last week, my mommy died. My daddy doesn't know how to braid hair. And that bus driver of a rural bus at a school system in Utah, went to Walmart after her last load got a bag of bows and a new hairbrush. And she said to the little girl, you stay on the bus and I'll brush your hair and put those braids back. And it was so significant, Terry, that her teacher noticed and reported it to the principal. And that story made her local news. And then it made the national news. And I could probably tell you stories the rest of the day um, about what happens at the top part of the funnel. And then we get in the middle part of the funnel and I call it warm hand holding. I have a girlfriend of many years. I've been married almost 36 years this November. My husband's a wonderful fellow, two wonderful sons grown and married. But my girlfriend that I have coffee with all the time, we've laughed so many times, and her husband's a brilliant chemist, and um, and we said, you know what we need is a good wife, because running a home to file orthodontist claims and you know and do things, you know, you need a manager at home. But if your life is overwhelmed with trauma. You need somebody to help break it down for you. And so the middle part of the funnel is coming alongside and helping people. And then is the behavioral health. And I think, Terry, something that our work is helping our society see is how much value there is in the bus driver and how much value there is in the case management. And then, of course, the value in our behavioral. So I think that's a lot of the message that that I'm bringing to this,
1: I hope. Beautiful wow. And one, you teared me up with that story. Um, I mean, beautiful story of exactly that is, uh, being trauma informed on a community level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to bring up, which, which you talked about is, um, my, my grandmother, kitty, my grandma kitty was this huge factor in my life in building my resilience and, and, um, and it wasn't anything one specific thing she did, it was the fact that she loved me unconditionally and wasn't violent to me in this chaos of my childhood and so that's another that's that top part of the funnel um, is just that kindness and that attention and that love um, that's given to our fellow humans exactly and
2: i think oftentimes um is we think about trauma on one side of the coin Um, You know, I really like to focus in my trainings and speaking on the other side of the coin, on resiliency. And if anyone's seen the film um, Paper Tigers or Resilience, one of the lines out of the film Resilience talks about aces are not destiny. And many professionals, I I hardly ever do a training or a keynote or speaking where I don't get walked to the car by somebody or an email even before I get back to check my email where someone has said, thank you, this is so powerful um, in the fact that um, I had a grandmother or I had a next door neighbor. Um, I, one of my favorite stories, I actually collect these. I have a file of the stories that people honor me by sharing. And one of my favorite stories is a news reporter from our local newspaper who was asked to cover my training In 2016, I was training all the service providers that care for homeless individuals in our town. And um, he sat through four hours of training and he just was so touched by it. And his article that night was, what if all along kindness is the cure? And it was talking about. You know, in 2013, the American Public Health Society said, or American Journal of Public Health reported that homeless individuals have the highest A score of any other population. And so when we think about, you know, our town and someone out there on the street, maybe that's someone that never had a birthday acknowledged. Maybe that's someone that couldn't count on food, you know, and so that was a lot of the nature of the training. Well, three weeks later, one night I get an email and his from the reporter. And his subject line is, I have to tell you. So I opened it up and he was asked by the newspaper to go and report on a story about hoarding And the neighbors had sent in a codes complaint for a violation of someone that had a lot of debris in the yard. And it had been there for for a little bit of time and rodents were in it. So it was a bit of a concern. So he goes up to the door, knocks on the door and introduces himself with the paper and said, you know, I know, you know, your neighbors know about this. I wanted to talk to you. And so the person invited him in and they said, well, all the stuff in my yard belonged to my mother. And said she died recently, and it really has not a lot of monetary value, but I couldn't part with it. And then she began to tell about her horrific childhood, and how her mother helped navigate her away from danger. And she just wasn't ready to part with her mother's stuff, how her mother was her hero. And that young reporter reported that story that way in the paper. And do you know who helped her clean the yard? The very people that complained. Oh, yeah
1: that's so trauma-informed lens yes yes absolutely well one of the things i had seen on your website when i was looking through was pces and i had not heard this before positive childhood experiences and so that that kind of goes along with um you know this woman her mother navigating her through uh to safety and and that's is the other side of ACEs, right? Or, or a part of it, I guess?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, um, uh, 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 I serve on a Boys and Girls Club board here and a judge, a juvenile judge that I did training for her and her court staff. She spoke at a banquet we had a while back when we could meet in person. And um, she did such a great job in her messaging, protective factors protective factors and Terry you know when I speak to a school I've worked with several different school districts from the superintendent down and sometimes they'll give me a parents night to come and talk with the parents and I get with the teachers ahead of time and we do a little um, where I'll talk for a few minutes about 30 minutes about what are your protective factors because I feel like what could I do in 30 minutes to go through the whole Aces story so rather than just talk about that I want to talk about what could they do you know so I mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit about trauma could have effects on our life and health. So we all need to have protective factors. And then when they go visit their child's room, the teacher has them sit down at a little table and shows the the child's work. And she asks them parent and the child to write down four or five relationships, you know, you can count on. And then they talk about what are relationships that are counting on you. And we do a little protective factor, um, little activity, you know, because um, that is the key. That is the positive childhood experiences that when a child has negativity at home, we know that that could be mitigated, the effects of that, by having these positive relationships and positive encounters. And they don't have to be long and they don't have to be expensive, but just so that they're there.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, so ex- define protective factors for the audience. Okay. Um, well, protective factor in uh, what you referenced, the
2: PCEs, that's instead of ACEs, that's a positive childhood experience. Um, and those are going to largely happen through some sort of a relationship. Um, you know, so a protective factor we've known for 25 years, big brother, big sister, is a very effective, well, in my mind, now that we know about ACEs, now we know why that, that, that is an effective, um, intervention, or, um, we know, uh, it could be something in a faith, uh, community, a faith, a youth pastor, or, um, a coach. There's a great video that I use in training. Uh, a young man named Chad tells his story and a teacher at school recognized something must be up with Chad. He's so withdrawn and all. And she connects him to the football coach and the young man didn't even play football and ends up the young man begins to tell about a violent father at home. And, and, um, and so one of the ways in Tennessee where I'm a, uh, you know, live in Tennessee, um, we've had a, growing work around aces for about um two years since 2016 i guess longer now but they um got uh, frameworks to help do some messaging and one of my favorite messages comes to positive uh experiences or protective factors and it's all around your smartphone let me get it there okay and they call it charging stations and so everybody gets that the young man i was just on the phone with in lithuania I'm talking about suicide. You know, everybody needs a charging station, Terry. And you mentioned your grandma. You know, sometimes our charging stations change over time. Maybe a passing of a loved one, or maybe we graduate out of that grade and our teacher was there for us. But everyone needs to not only have a charging station, but I think through the work and the conversation around ACEs, we're seeing how we need to be a charging station to the people on our path.
1: Yes. Yeah, it reminds me, one of my moms, my mom's very religious, and she's that person that re- does her prayers in the morning and her prayers in the evening and says her rosary and the most Catholic person I know. <laughs> but one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know if it's St. Teresa or Mother Teresa, but it was, uh, do um, little things with great love. Yes. And kind of what we're talking about here is doing these little things with great love and compassion and understanding.
2: Exactly. Um, I, uh, uh, I don't know the name of the book, but a best-selling um, book um, that is out, a young man named Steve Pemberton. Um, give a shout out to him. I've never met him, but um, I've seen some videos and all. And his experience was being in a foster care home for many years that was not a good situation. And um, he loved to read. And on a video I watched, um, he would be sitting outside reading a book and a neighbor passing by noticed the young boy was always reading the same book and so in time a boxes of used books started appearing mm-hmm. on the porch and and that's the thing terry is that you know uh, another great book that i use in my training with healthcare is written by two doctors at the cooper institute it's called compassionomics and these brilliant team of doctors did a systematic review of over a thousand studies done in the healthcare setting. And they found that greater compassion, greater empathy helps patients to heal as well as providers not burn out. But one of the chapters in that beautiful book, Compassionomics talked about people who ended their life by suicide. And it talked about how that loneliness, how that compassion and protective factors and friendships and nurturing support, you know, could help people to not get in a place of loneliness. But in the book, they talked about some notes they had from people who tragically ended their life by suicide. And one note said a man who had ended his life by jumping off a bridge in his, in his note, he said, if on the way to the bridge, one person smiles at me, I won't jump. Oh. And You know, Terry, it, it's when I read things like that, I end my training many times with that story, and I say, "Who could bring the one smile tomorrow? Who could bring the one smile?" Because it's it's you know I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer on this topic. I mean I'm not saying I'm not very smart, but the point is I don't think we've estimated the value. the empathy and you know we're all in this isolation you go in walmart to shop people are got their headphones on and you know and we're more and more distant and the value of these relationships these protective factors you know because that man that day said all it would take is one smile and i'll reconsider
1: yeah yeah and with with these masks on uh you know people smile with their eyes uh, yeah. my, mine crinkle up, so yeah. Yeah. You, know, you can tell yeah. I'm smiling because I get the lines. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm getting a few new ones. I'm kind of using the oil of Olay a little heavy, but um, I saw a program that I sent out to some nurses at um, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. It's called the Button Project, and where they're wearing masks in the children's hospital. They all had big, large buttons made of their beautiful, smiley face, oh, and it's wow. right there. So you the child sees who's under that mask, So so there's no shortage of ways that we can come up with ways to utilize this when we see um, what can help.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, that's just beautiful. So um, anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had an opportunity to discuss?
2: Well, one of the fields that I do get a lot of requests I get most. I get requests mostly in two areas. One to talk about how to trauma inform your town and um so in 2019 I co-authored a toolkit and it's housed at the Tennessee Department of children's Services. I actually co-authored it for them. Um and um And now it's been um, in December, it's going to come out in Johns Hopkins, um, Progress in Community Health, um, Education, Action, Research, and that scientific journal, it'll be coming out, the toolkit. Um, So I get a lot of calls about how to trauma inform a town. But if you break that down even further, a lot of people don't know how to approach police. With this message, and um, I just had an article a couple of weeks ago in Aces Connection, which is I want to give a shout out. What yeah. a great, you know, that's how I've met you and other people, and 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 the mission they have to help accelerate this work by this networking is fabulous. Um, But I wrote an article about policing there. But because I learned this at a police department, I began searching um, after training 4,000 professionals. And I thought, here I work for police and we've not even cracked the door, you know? And so um, after a lot of research, I created a training for police called developing, um, uh, I mean, it's on uh, trauma-informed policing. And um, it's certified in Tennessee and Oklahoma for um, uh, officer credit. I've trained the Oklahoma City Police Department, uh, helped them with 1,200 officers. I've trained multiple departments in Tennessee, North Carolina. Actually, this weekend I'm going to West Virginia. It'll be my first in-person training since March to train police in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And um, and I guess Terry, as we wrap this up, um, I would want people watching to realize there's no sector of professional that is does not need to know about a trauma-informed lens and in the article that I wrote in ACES Connection and I've had several contacts from that a DA in South Carolina contacted me and a um, a gal in Boston and uh, but in that article I talk about three types of trauma that officers are faced with number one is in Tennessee it takes seven acts of domestic violence before someone will reach out for for an advocate. Now, they will call police on the first time, the second time, the third time, but it takes about seven times before they'll go to a shelter or go to see someone, okay? And so when I heard a 911 call of a four-year-old watching a horrific act between his parents, I thought, Who's gonna be there to help that child? Because what that child didn't realize was when he called the 911 to save mommy's life, now my dad is gonna be arrested. So that child has a terrible burden of guilt. But an officer who's trained how to reduce trauma on scene for children, so my training talks about how to address trauma for reduce it on scene for children. And that was in the article. The second trauma is community trauma. When the tragic death at the hands of police brutality Of Mr. Floyd earlier this year. It's really touched off a lot of wounds in the racial. Um, conversation in our community and the great need to have greater equity and diversity and so police need to know one of the effective ways to reduce community trauma is know your community be plugged into your Jewish community your Muslim community your LGBTQ community um, every type of, of, of factor in your community have relationships and I have experience doing that at the police department and then, then thirdly is trauma officers face Terry, in two 2018 and 2019, more officers took their own life than were killed in the line of duty because there's a stigma for officers they have to soldier on. When I trained the Oklahoma City Police Department, the chief of police now, he was a rookie in 1995 when that horrific bombing devastated a federal building and took 168 lives. And he told me with tears in his eyes, 25 years later, thank God for a good wife. Because though they had some debriefing and all, they had to just push on. And so another re- realm of trauma is the self-care that officers need.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, you had brought up, and I I did write that down in my notes as well. So you're building building trauma-informed community is that toolkit that that yes, you're hearing, correct? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Um. Well, yeah, I, again, thank you for that work and for sharing that message. It's, it's needed and beautiful. Uh, One last thing that I did want to touch upon was your book. We talked a little bit about it before we, we hit uh, record and I'll, I'll also share, I'll go on to ACEs connection and find that blog or send me the link and I'll put it out on, on the Facebook page um, for the healing place podcast as well.
2: Okay. And also my website, if anyone was interested in training, Becky Haas.com. Okay. So, uh, again, my journey, uh, faith is central to my life and, um, uh, I'm actually an ordained minister. I do women's conferences and, and, uh, speak at churches. Uh, and I never thought that this would be a, 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 a healing path my life would take. And, um, so working at the police department, um, reducing crime by forty percent, starting a program that reduced recidivism. Uh, my husband, my dear husband, um, he said, "Honey, you should write a book. This is outrageous. This stuff. You know, I'm the lady in Walmart in yoga pants. I'm not usually the crime fighter." And um, so I kind of poo-pooed the idea for a while. But after about a year, uh, I was giving it some thought, and I thought, "Well, you know, maybe." Maybe a book could help people. If I talk to people once a week in a speaking engagement, you couldn't reach them like you could in a book. Uh, so night. I write a book. It's on Amazon and in Kindle. Your city's waiting on you. And a little bit of it's like uh, a, a simple Bible study on some principles of reaching people. And Terry, I feel like sometimes people, um, we try to push religion on on people and and that's such a turn off and i think if we could just be real and so my book is a lot about find the housing authority in your town and see if they need winter coats for people. You know, actually in scripture, Jesus said the greatest in your town or the greatest in the kingdom is a servant. And I think sometimes we've overlooked the the beauty of serving. And so my book talks about serving. And then there are several chapters all about how to serve, how to serve police. You know, when I left the police department, we had um, people bringing meals by and gift cards and just things to help keep them encouraged. We had a local faith community volunteering um, to help at the housing authority to wrap Christmas gifts and just come along and do anything they needed. Um, But one chapter in the book is all about um, ACEs and it's called Chapter 7 and it's Treat Your City with Kindness. And I just talk about all the underlying trauma that is in any city, in any community. So you can find that um, on Amazon um, or Kindle and um, I'd be honored, I got a letter the other day from a woman in Connecticut um, who wrote me and said um, that she and her mother were starting an outreach to the underserved women called um, uh, Bridges to Beauty. And this woman is in cosmetology, and they're going to begin to provide free beauty services to women, along with trying to help them see how that maybe they could begin to take some classes or Help their life to advance. So I get more rewarded hearing from people and maybe in some way how it's inspired them.
1: Yes, beautiful. All right, last thing. So, how do people get in touch with you, get a hold of you?
2: Okay, Becky at Becky Haas.com is the best way. And okay. thank you, Terry, for the uh, the joy of sharing your platform and meeting you.
1: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I feel honored to have met you. And thank you, Jesse Graham, for introducing us. just uh, adore Jesse and the work she's doing in the world as well. Um, So, yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today here on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. All right. Thanks. Thank
0: Thank you so much for listening today. To the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywelbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And. As Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.